Today, many of us have been so conditioned by efficiency that times of sitting on the porch, relaxing, slow conversation, unrushed moments, feels unproductive, irresponsible, lazy, even selfish. We know we need rest, but we can no longer see the value of rest as an end in itself. It is only worthwhile if it helps us recharge our batteries so we can even be more efficient in the next period of productivity. Ouch. Ouch. John, that's a quote from Gerald May. Friends, welcome back to the Ransomed Heart Podcast. Alan Arnold, John Eldridge here, picking up a conversation about trying to find some margin, some breathing room, some headspace, trying to find the unhurried life in the midst of the world that we have. And the world that we have is extraordinarily demanding, all kinds of stuff rushing at you. And what we left last time, Alan, was the idea that there's a difference between busy and hurried. Say a little bit more about that. Yeah, well, I used to take those words as interchangeable. And my wife, Kelly, was, was asking me about that just the other day. And, and it was a great conversation of they really aren't the same word. They're not interchangeable. And I think the best way for me to describe the difference is you look at Jesus' disciples, you look at even the life of Jesus or any contemporary who seems to not be always in a panic, always flustered, but fully present. And they can be really busy people. Like they can have a travel schedule and they can have a lot Mm. of things in their life that they are accomplishing, but they are not doing it at a frenzied, hurried, mildly panicked state. And so if we think we can't be busy, then we're basically saying we have to take away things to do in our life or we have to eliminate things that could bring a lot of life and play to our gifting and our joy. And that's what can make us busy. I don't think busy is the enemy. I think hurry is the enemy because when we hurry, we lose the ability to savor to look at somebody in the eye, to, to notice their expression, to, to slow our rhythm down. So to me, that there's a huge distinction between, yes, I have a busy schedule, and yes, I am a hurried individual. Yeah, that's really big. That's really huge. So hurried, then, would be an emotional state. It would be an internal state of being. Yes. Almost a spiritual reality uh-huh. that you would use words like frenzied, flustered yeah. as substitutes for, right? That you're restless. Chaotic. Yes. Right. Impatient. Overwhelmed. Overwhelmed and unable to pause, finish a conversation. Right. Yeah. Versus simply Busy might refer to just a very full week. Yes. Got to get the kids to school and I got to get to work and we've got a parent meeting tonight and all that. Mm-hmm. A lot of that stuff's unavoidable. Right. And I don't think busy days erodes our hearts in a way that w- the hurried pace of life will erode who we are. If your tank is always empty, to me, that used to be a sign that perhaps I was too busy and I realized. There are busy seasons in life. If you're in the middle of, John, of writing a book, that's a busy season for you. 
three teenagers, busy season in general of life for us. And yet, it's a lie to think that means we're going to have a frenzied, crazy season every day during those periods. Okay. I did just finish the manuscript on a new book, but a subject for another conversation. What was fascinating with some of the research I was doing for this book, when you pause in between activities, it actually increases your productivity. When you pause as a regular practice in your day, it actually increases your mental concentration. So the the hurried life, the life that that I find myself swept up into and it feels like is the norm of the culture is a life that has no gaps. It is one thing to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. And I think one of the quick ways out of that, I want to illustrate it with the cell phone, right? The smartphone, your mobile device, that whenever there is a moment of downtime, people whip out their phones just immediately. So I'm in the, you know, I'm in the DMV trying to register my car and, I'm looking at everyone there. Every single person sitting in that waiting area was on their phone. And I thought, oh my gosh. And the, you know, you pull up to school to pick the kids up. If there is a moment of downtime, every single one of those students has whipped out their phone. And so we say there's no margin, but actually what's happening is it's how we're choosing to use our margin right? That we, right. we whip out the phone. And so we keep the information flowing. I can get a few more emails done. I can check my feed. I can see the goofy thing that, you know, some celebrity just did. And to say, actually, you don't have to do that. You don't have to whip out your phone. It, this has become so instinctive to us that we don't realize we're burning up our transition time mm. when, you know, if you have a commute, either by car or bus or train, you have transition time. Yes. And, you know, years and years ago when I worked in D.C., I took the train out of town. We lived, we lived quite a ways out of town where we could afford it. And that train time, this is back in the day before smartphones. And so I could read. I could look out the window. Yes, I could plan my next day on a pad of paper But the point being is that there were transitionary moments and transitionary spaces. And that alone, beginning to take back some transition, would do enormous things for the health of your soul and your life with God. So you mentioned writing the book. Even writing a book, which I absolutely love doing, I can't just keep at it for hours and hours and hours. Mm -hmm. And so I developed some simple habits of every hour, get up, go out, throw the ball for the dog. I'm talking five minutes. This is not, you know, I I, I didn't go take a bath. I didn't go down, (laughs) you know, and and take a run at the park. Five minutes. But it was so life-giving to not just hit go and stay on go all day until I passed out at bedtime. Yes. Yeah, that's good, John. I'll give you a practical example of one thing that I've started doing is waking up and asking God, I'm talking about before I get out of bed, before I get going, ask God, what do you have for me today versus here's my list of things that need to happen today. Please help everything happen. Mm. It's a shift for me that just starts me at more of a place of rest Because in a sense, I'm saying my schedule is not my own today. 
And so for a highly driven, productive, make it happen mindset, it just moves against that in a disruptive way to say, I don't really know what the most important things are today. I think I do. But God, what do you have for the day? Is that new for you? Was that some of the fruit of January? January took it to a deeper level. Like I think for a few years I've been trying to live in this space, but January took it to a different level because I still think I had fallen back into somehow the day is better the more that gets done. The more productive I am, the better dad I am, the better husband I am, the better provider I am. And so it's basically a shift from saying, rather than the more I get done, the better things are to say, God, what do you have for me today? Because I know, God, you're not going to give me more than I can do in a day. You're not going to give me more hours of things that have to happen than you've provided hours. And so if I go at your rhythm, if I go at your pace, if I'm awake and alert to what you're doing, if my heart's awakened to that, then I'm not going to be overwhelmed with the day. There may be a lot, but I'm going to go at your pace And so that one thing alone has really shifted how I start the day. And I I don't know about you, but I find how I start the day is how the day is going to go. Mm. If I start in a panic, it's really hard to have a relaxed day later in the day. Yeah. So to give an amen and kind of an echo to that, when I get up in the morning, one of my disciplines is I don't check my phone. So first off, phones don't come into the bedroom. Okay. Mm. Phones are banished to the kitchen counter and the charger overnight because I don't want stuff interrupting my night in there. Yes. And then when I get up in the morning, don't check the phone, not your feed, not your text, not the weather, because the world is just waiting right there to suck you in and go, oh no, you know, and create some space for some prayer. Yes. I even have breakfast first and then I check my phone and it's just a little personal discipline that's saying, here's how I'm choosing to live my day. I'm starting my day with Hmm. grace and kindness and not with efficiency and productivity. Well, I could, you know, I could answer these three texts before I even get out of bed. Right. Right. Was that hard for you initially? What's interesting is not initially, what's been hard is maintaining it Hmm. because it's there sitting there on the kitchen counter when I come out in the morning and, oh, maybe I'll just see, you know, if the kids have texted or but it's been, a, it's been a beautiful discipline for me. The other thing that I got caught in several years ago by God was multitasking. Because of technology, you can be on the phone, but you can also be doing email and making airline reservations. Yes. Right? And, right. and I would, it just almost happened to me yesterday. I was in a phone call that was good and important but I felt the temptation to start scrolling the internet and see what else was going on and check a few other things out, right? And it, first off, that's a horrible thing to do to the person on the other end of the conversation because it means you don't, you don't have my attention anymore. You, you don't have my undivided attention. Yes. I'm a distracted, hurried person that you're trying to talk to. And I just realized that one thing, John, stop multitasking. When I'm sitting in meetings, don't bang out email. Mm, That's big. Here's a thought that disrupted me recently, and it was from a book called The Unhurried Life by an author named Alan Fadling. 
And his comment was, question was really, do you view Jesus as being someone who's relaxed? Do you see Jesus as relaxed? And I have to say, no, I didn't see Jesus that way. I saw Jesus as very purposeful, always either engaged with somebody or moving to the next event. So there was the transition was simply, now I'm going from the person possessed by demons to the next town to do this, and then here to say this. And it was disruptive. But then the more I read and the more I thought, I came to the conclusion that, yeah, I think Jesus was very purposeful, but he was very relaxed. He was busy, but he didn't seem hurried. And then, John, I I transitioned to God and said, do I see God as a frenzied, hurried, worried, overwhelmed God, or do I see him as very much at peace and always available? And so that shifted my view of God. And from there, it was just a short jump to say, as a son of God, how would he want me to be? How would the father want me to be in my relationships with him and with others? Mm. And so if it helps the listener, if you can picture Jesus and God never in a state of panic or hurry or worry, then I believe their invitation to us is live your life that way. Live your life in an unhurried, unfrenzied way, even in the midst of chaos. Even when there's chaos, you don't have to become chaotic. We don't have to become chaotic. So that was for me somewhat of a breakthrough. There are these episodes in the Gospels where things are very intense, Mm -hmm. and it says that the disciples were so busy they did not have time to eat, and so Jesus said, time out, it's time to get away and catch your breath. So he found himself in often very demanding situations, but then watch what he does. What are his choices with that? Right. And the phrase early in Mark is he often went away by himself to solitary places to pray. Yeah. So he was counterbalancing a demanding schedule with choices that allowed him some soul space, some room for That's his good. father, some, yes. some room for prayer. And it was years ago, I think it was Archibald Hart who wrote the book Adrenaline and Stress that pointed out we have lost the observation of all the transitions in the Gospels. You know, when it says, so Jesus and his disciples went up to Galilee. You know, Arch points out, you understand that's a three-day walk. Mm. So they didn't go from one event recorded in the Gospel to the next event recorded in the Gospel. There were literally campfires in between. There were long walks in between, downtime, transition time. Do you see that? Yes. But we moderns, we've read all that out of the Gospels, and it just looks like, no, Jesus heals, then he teaches, right? right? Then he rebukes, then he heals, then he teaches. 24-7. Yeah, and and go, oh, no, actually, it took him three days between those two episodes. And in those three days, we don't have the record because nothing was going on. That's a big thought. I, I think, too, if people are listening going, where do I start? One thing that, that came apparent to me in this past month is, you know, we've heard of all the elimination diets where if you want to find out what foods are not good for you, 
you eliminate everything and then you slowly start adding back one at a time and, and watch the effects. Well, I think in an effort to eliminate hurry, to the degree that you can start eliminating some things or at least examining those things and saying, what is the effect of this in my life? And if the effect of it is stress, overwhelmed, fear, anxiety, tension, to the degree possible, that's something you want to try to eliminate or at least minimize or be aware of so that you can go into that and protect your heart, guard your heart. For example, Alan, for example, here's the thing I don't get. All my friends are telling me, you don't understand. You don't understand. There's no margin in my life. And yet I know that the average American consumes massive amounts of online media every day. Right. Either either through their, you know, their mobile devices or their pads, laptops, computers. I'm talking hours is the average person. Hours of it. And so you say, no, the clutter is there. Just start looking for the clutter, the things that you assume. Well, no, I always do that. I always watch that show or, or I always check the news. Or I, just pause. Really? Yeah. That, that can't go for a week? And I read a study just yesterday that said the average person watches over 2,000 hours of television a year. 2,000. And, well, and that's television and that's right. fading. Right. Right. Cause, right. Because now it's all the online stuff. And, right. And your, you know, your YouTube stuff and the cute little things that show up in your Facebook feed. and Which and is probably higher. Yada, yada. You bet it's higher. So it's, yeah, like, what do you want to pursue most? And for me, and my invitation for you listening is an unhurried life is an amazing thing to pursue Yes, you can be busy, but your heart can be reset at a different rhythm. And for me, the image of, you know, those films you watch where they speed everything up, but one person is going at normal pace and Mm -hmm. everything around them is blurry and fast. And that is the world we live in, is that blurry, fast-paced life. But we can be that person, I believe, with God, where we say, no, we're not going to go at that pace. We're going to live a life that has depth, that's examined. And that we know the rhythm of our heart, and that requires slowing things down, not waiting for the world to slow down. Because, John, you know, like we found, it's not going to slow down. If we're waiting for that week where nobody has any demands and there's nothing going on, we're going to wait the rest of our lives. Mm -hmm. But the change in ourselves, the change that God can help transform us with, I think is huge. And that's what I'm getting a taste of, and I love it. So, gang, there's a difference between being busy, and being hurried, harried, frenzied, cranked, fried, wired, crispy, burnt. There's a difference. And much of it is actually internal. Much of it is in what you're carrying and need to let go of. And in the clutter that we assume can't go, but maybe it can. And so one last story to show this can be disruptive. Years ago, one of the required pieces in our calendar was family dinner. Stacy and I, as a young couple, needed to attend family dinner at my folks' house. And that was just a given. And we finally realized, you know what? That's actually not a given. That's something we can choose. And we can even choose to say, you know, this week, that doesn't work for us? Or how about we go to every other week? And yep, 
It's disruptive. Yep, the people in your world might not like it. But the difference was we didn't feel like we had a choice, and we did. We actually did have a choice. And as we began to exercise the choice, it was wonderful. And then you end up enjoying it more when you do go. Right. Right? Rather than resenting Mm. it because it's one more thing. Friends, I hope you are finding this helpful. I really do. This isn't meant to be exasperating. I know that any time there's an examination of pace of life or the amount of content or the, the lack of margin, you, I get defensive. Um, this isn't meant to provoke that. It's meant to be inviting to say there is a grace that God is extending to you in the midst of an utterly insane world. So may Jesus lead you to that. And, and maybe the first question to Jesus is, Lord, what needs to go? Right. What's actually clutter that I'm not even seeing that would create some breathing room and allow my heart to enter into a less hurried way of being? You've been listening to the Ransomed Heart Podcast with John Eldridge and Alan Arnold.